episode 93 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 6th of July, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. I can't believe that it's July already. It's just mad. Where has this year gone? The nights are drawing in. <laughs> It'll be Christmas next. Oh dear. We're going to do some Ask Us Anything questions that we keep talking about doing, but we will. We'll do at least a couple of those later but let's start with some news and the first one is that ubiports have got a gsi a general system image for project treble devices this is excellent news because it means it's going to be significantly easier to port ubuntu touch to loads of more modern devices and so finally you're not going to be stuck with ancient nexus fives and stuff like that so i'm really hopeful for this forgive my ignorance but what's project treble i knew you're going to ask that (laughs) so google came up with this idea this new way of doing android to basically decouple the stuff that makes the hardware work with the operating system i'm overly simplifying it but it means that it's much easier for OEMs to update devices because you don't need to update all the kernel and drivers and stuff essentially, and you can just slot in the actual operating system on top of that. That is massively oversimplified, but it's it's just a quicker, easier way to update devices. And they have this general system image, which you can effectively run on all Project Treble supported devices for Android. And now Ubiports have got something similar. It's not quite as simple as it sounds. You can't literally just do it in, you know, 20 minutes, but it does cut down the development time significantly to port it to a new device. That sounds like a jolly good idea. It is, because that's one criticism that I hear a lot. My friend who is sort of vaguely into Linux, more into sort of privacy stuff, he said to me, I, w- I went to check out Ubuntu Touch, and what's with all these ancient devices that they support? Mm. Why can't they support something more modern? And the answer to that is, well, it's very difficult to port to a new device, usually, whereas this is going to make it that little bit easier to do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, I don't own one of those devices, so I'm out of luck. But you do own a supported device for Ubuntu Touch. The 3T, the OnePlus 3T, is supported. Yeah, it's my main phone, so <laughs> I, I'm not going to take that risk yet. <laughs> yeah, I need to send you one of my Pine phones so you can... Yes, uh... you do need to send me one of your Pine phones. <laughs> I'm too scared to go to the post office because people cough all over me and give me the Rona. I just wear a mask. Jesus. Well, it also doesn't help that I wake up in the afternoon and then it's too late to get to the post office. But uh, if there was a way of just sticking it in the post box, then I'll do it, but it's too big. So maybe one day I'll get around to sending it to you. I don't believe you. <laughs> I was supposed to give it to Graham, um, but then forgot, like an idiot. So I don't know. But yeah, excellent news for you reports. So um, one to watch. Let's hope that that ends up on loads more devices soon. So something that I wanted to address I keep seeing over the last few months, when NetMarketShare puts out their data, people blindly saying, oh, Linux desktop market share has increased by double, and suddenly we've got all these extra Linux users, and it must be down to people working from home. Rather than having to use Windows in the office, they're using Linux at home. But unfortunately, that is bullshit. 
Are you going to bring up the distro watch, most popular distros next time? Well, of course <laughs> it is, because MX Linux is the top of that as we look at it right now. The bottom line is, I don't trust net market share anymore. I, I don't think I ever did, really. I don't trust their data. That was going to be my question. When did you? Well, yeah, I suppose. Because there's other people who track this stuff, like Stat Counter, and for them, it's pretty much flat. Like there's been no change, and if you look at the Steam hardware survey, same situation. That hasn't changed for months. It it fluctuates a tiny amount every time, but it's roughly flat. And okay, Steam, that's not a great way of measuring it. But I, I don't, am I being cynical here, or am I right that this is just bullshit and people are buying into hype? It might be. The problem is. All of them have their own failings in how they're measuring it. So, I mean, there is really no way to work that out, I don't think, unless we're all given the download stats from the canonical servers and we know how many canonical have, and then we get that from each, like Red Hat, etc. But even then, you know, you can run a proxy inside your company or your home, whatever, and you can be queuing up the updates that way. I mean, unless we start using a UUID for every machine and make it dial home, we're never going to know. Yeah, which obviously is never going to happen. No. I think the Steam stats are indicative of a trend. Sure, not everybody's going to run Steam on their PC, but if the number of Linux desktops doubles, then you'd expect the number of Steam users to double. So I think that's probably the best public metric that we've got. Yeah, I agree. And I also think we'd kind of feel it if there was any significant increase. You know, it would be in the news more, it'd be on social media more, and you'd just get a sense of things growing, which you don't really get. Although I do feel like it's in a strong position. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think Linux is waning in any way, but I don't think there's any user-based revolution just because so many people are working from home. Yeah, I think the the actual number of Linux desktop users has probably gone up and continues to do so regularly but so does the number of Windows users Mm. as more people get access to technology. And if we are standing still at whatever percent it is, whether it's 1% or whatever, if you're standing still, you are actually moving forward because there are always more people using computers. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Mac numbers in the coming years now that they go ARM only uh, and see if that drives people to Linux on the desktop. I can't see it. Really, because they're going to manage that transition well by the looks of things with Rosetta 2 and stuff. It's, I'd, I think that's wishful thinking. We had that with what with Vista, and then the you know, we have all these mm. milestones where people think, Oh, this is going to be it, this is going to push us over the top into uh, the year of the Linux desktop. But it's, it's just not realistic, is it? Well, the thing is. I would have a slight worry in this, in the fact that with them going to ARM and it's going to be exclusively for OS 11 or whatever it is, I'm not sure if I'm right with that, but essentially that's a locked out piece of hardware now. And because Windows already does that on ARM, are we going to end up in a position where more and more hardware becomes completely exclusive to that OS and we are kind of reliant purely on the... Dell Sputniks, the System 76s and any of the Clevo type brands like Enterware, etc. You know, are we kind of losing that dual boot base that might exist out there, especially on laptops where you don't have, you know, that second drive or whatever, where you're kind of definitely locked into that one position. So, you know, will that actually remove Linux users? 
I think it will. I don't think it will remove any Linux users on Apple hardware because that happened a long time ago with the T2 chip, as you found out, Will, when you tried to install Linux on mm. that Mac that they gave you. So it really depends on the industry trend. If the industry trends towards ARM, which that's usually what happens, isn't it? Apple does something and everyone copies. So if Windows gets not terrible on ARM, then maybe we'll see new laptops going that way. And then you're right. The the idea of being able to install Linux on it will get harder and harder. And you'll have to get bespoke specific hardware or older hardware in order to run Linux. And so, yeah, we probably will end up with fewer users as a result. That could be a good thing. Imagine buying hardware built specifically for Linux. <laughs> And you know everything works. I also really worry about the way Apple's going in terms of ignoring like GPUs or NVIDIA hardware. I think a lot of people will stick with Windows and Linux for that reason or even move to it. Possibly. I hear that a lot about the, the CUDA stuff. But it feels like Apple could just support that quite easily. Well, they did. NVIDIA actually built drivers for the latest versions of macOS for their hardware. And Apple chose not to sign them and publish them effectively. Does that mean you can't even do it with an eGPU? Because most of the Macs have Thunderbolt, don't they? You can't with NVIDIA hardware, no. They haven't. Uh, there's no signed NVIDIA drivers to run the latest generation of NVIDIA hardware. Seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot there. Yeah. Because uh, it, isn't that where all the machine learning and AI bullshit is? Yeah. And, and you know, CUDA's effectively won. And, yeah, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Well, speaking of old hardware, then... Fedora developers are discussing the possibility of dropping legacy BIOS support, is the uh, Pharonix headline. This is very speculative at this stage. This is not something that's going to happen in the immediate future. But it feels like this is the next thing. It was 32-bit x86 support before, and that took an awfully long time to go away. And now that has effectively gone away in most mainstream distributions. And so legacy BIOS support, that seems to be going away now, or at least we've started the conversation about that. And I don't know how I feel about it. I don't think I've got many machines. Some of my really old ones are BIOS only. But how do you lot feel about that going away? Good riddance or what? Well, I think my laptop is still a legacy BIOS. Um I actually don't know what my PC is because I just don't care about booting that often. But uh, VMs, that C bias. So, you know, I don't know what they're going to do there. That's an interesting question about the VMs. I'm, presumably there'll be a clever workaround for it. But the, the old argument here is that if you've got hardware old enough to only support legacy BIOS mode, then you probably don't want the bleeding edge desktop distros anyway. Now that rather falls down when you start talking about XFCE and VMs. But I, I think there's an element of truth in it that if you've got a machine that absolutely requires BIOS booting, then you probably don't need the bleeding edge latest and greatest. Yeah, I think I think I agree. And um, I usually get into trouble by accidentally booting off the MBR when I really mean the EFI bootloader, which messes up Linux when it eventually comes up. So it may, may simplify things for people. I always use legacy BIOS mode where possible. Of course you do. Of course, obviously. My laptop doesn't support it, and it really annoys me having all those extra partitions and stuff, and having to have a GPT partition table 
and stuff. It just, I, I, I don't want it. But Intel are forcing that. So it means that any Intel machines, I think after this year or certainly soon, won't support legacy BIOS. So that sucks for me. But I do accept that I'm in the minority here and most people do want EFI. But I hope that this takes a long time to come in. I hope there's a long tail here before all the distros stop supporting the old hardware and we get to a point where all that old hardware is properly obsolete. I think with 32-bit, that happened, right? It, like it, it did get to the point where the only 32-bit only x86 machines were just so shit and old that they weren't worth the electricity to run them. And even then, there are still things like MX Linux or whatever that support 32-bit, and I think Debian and, and whatever. So you can get things working. I just hope that it takes that long with this. It does seem a bit like cutting off your nose spite the face, though, because one of the f- best free laptops we have is those ThinkPads, you know, like really free, like down to the firmware level, are those ThinkPads with the free bias on them. And, you know, that's not UFE, so that's going to go out the window. So the main thing of the if you're really into free software is you are now going to be blocked from using it. No one's forcing you to reinstall the operating system, though. You can still use it day in, day out. You might not get access to the the latest kernel, but you don't care. Yeah, well, that effectively means it's dead, though, realistically speaking, because you're going to end up on some sort of naff, really out-of-date OS. Like, you know, it's like, how many distros do you use these days that don't use Pulse Audio? Remember when Pulse Audio was only in Fedora? Yeah, but what are you doing with that machine, though? Are you developing the latest and greatest cloud-only 64-bit, 8 gig app or are you checking your email well i I don't know it's not me so (laughs) (laughs) well those old thinkpads i think are core 2 duros i may be wrong on that but if that's true then yeah you're not going to be doing much more than a bit of light browsing and email and maybe a bit of media stuff maybe xfc could just about get to that level well i've actually got zubuntu on an old macbook pro which is a core 2 duo and it absolutely flies thank you very much you have to like press the turbo button off do you (laughs) yeah yeah exactly i bet you don't know if you've actually left the bios do you Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use a distro like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS or FreeBSD or you can even upload your own custom image. Or you can use their one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lampstacks, WordPress, Discourse, or GitLab. I've been using DigitalOcean for years now, and in that time, they've added tons of new features, things like managed databases and Kubernetes, object storage, and recently, Virtual Private Cloud, which allows you to create multiple private networks for your account or team. The droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but you can scale them all the way up to 192 gigabytes of RAM with 32 CPU cores and 12 terabytes of storage. But you can add block storage or object storage as you need it. And if you need particularly high amounts of RAM or CPU, they have droplets optimized for that too. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. On to a bit of admin then, and thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Very much appreciated. 
I mentioned it last time, but Patreon have started charging sales tax in certain regions. I tried to set it up so that was the minimum, but I don't know. It's just a complete mystery to me. So just do be aware that if you support us, then there may be a bit of tax involved now. And if you support us for $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. So check that out. If you want to support us, then go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. And they have moved over to GitLab then. They have, yeah. Um, now, this is only to do a replacement for Fabricator. So, for instance, things like bugs, etc., that is still on their Bugzilla instance, which probably won't move to the issues tracking in GitLab anytime soon. And this is their own version of GitLab, so it's self-hosted. Um, but there's a really good write-up on this on the GitLab blog itself, where they go through the fact that they had like 200 applications there's about 2,600 projects and you know it's just insane the size of this thing. So it's really good. And they worked a long time ago with the sysadmin team to plan out doing this, you know, running small tests of uh, various projects separately to make sure that everything worked out the way they wanted to. And uh, yeah, hopefully this will give people a better view into getting involved and stuff because it's uh, obviously a nicer interface and it's well more supported. And potentially a template for other people to move to a self-hosted GitLab then. Yeah, yeah, and GitLab themselves seem to be opening far more stuff up. So they, you know, any sort of reservations people may have had about the fact that, oh, it's open but not quite. Well, they seem to be answering those. We'll have to obviously see how they go in future, but it does seem to be quite a good project. All right, and what's this modern process management on KDE? So... A lot of modern applications, uh, especially if they're, say, a flat pack, will have a lot of processes that don't appear to interrelate to each other. As in, KDE doesn't know that, say, the flat pack of Spotify has about nine processes running. It just knows them as separate individual processes. So the KDE developers have been adding metadata to those and using the C groups is the way that we group those together on a lot of modern systems. And... Systemd is the arbiter of all those, and they have integrated all that into the process listing. So you'll be able to then manage the processes properly where the slices are there. You'll be able to rechange the percentage of how things interact properly. And they have, and as well as GNOME, have also upgraded a lot of the stuff there. So they're making a, a movement on that to actually get modern process management on the desktop. Surely modern process management is just make it all one process, one thread, so that when it crashes, everything just dies. That is the known way. (laughs) So there's a a good write-up there for people to look at, and people can actually help out if they're using systemd. uh, They can actually run a few commands to make sure that things are actually showing up correctly in it. And anybody, say, for instance, the BSDs don't need to worry. The current way of things tying together is still there. So it's not going to break for any people that are using a non-systemd system. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops, from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop-class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. 
They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop-down at checkout. You can select Late Night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Right, let's do some of the Ask Us Anything Sensible questions then. The first one is from W. Shah. And this is, what do you think about interviewing someone from the commercial RISC-V community, like someone from either low risk or sci-fi? Well, that sounds like an excellent idea, but it also sounds like a lot of effort to set up and organize. But uh, yeah, sounds good. We should definitely do that. So Kev asks, what would it take for you to stop using Linux entirely? Assuming Linux doesn't go anywhere. So what I'm saying is, what would it take for you to choose Windows or Mac over Linux? This is a sensible AMA, so sensible answers would be appreciated. In brackets, failing and then a smiley face. <laughs> I resemble that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what would it take for us to stop using Linux if Linux was still around? So, I mean, I guess we have to quantify it. Like, stop using Linux, does that mean I can't use it on a VM on a Windows machine or something like that? Hmm, uh, let's assume this is uh, desktop-wise. So, no, I think if you're running Windows or Mac OS or whatever it is, OS 11 now, you can run it in a VM still. Oh, then it doesn't matter because I've done this already. I had to work for a company and they used AD everywhere and had to use Windows. But, I mean, essentially it became my VirtualBox booting machine. <laughs> Well, so you just boot full screen and then just not even interact with Windows ever. Yeah, no, exactly. But that, that sounds too easy. It sounds like they were trying to elicit a bit of a better response, as in, like, I don't know, Tim Cook joins forces with the Bill Gates Foundation to outlaw Linux, and anybody <laughs> caught using it is shot in the face. No, no, Linux is still around, according to this question. And so it's a case of what, what would it take? For me, it would be not Windows, because that's terrible, but if macOS became open source and I could run it on my own hardware and it became like a proper open source project but still had all the support for all of the proprietary stuff that's handy to have like Adobe and whatever then I think potentially I might think about moving over there. Yeah there are there are features that you you can only get by putting a lot of people and spending a lot of money with a very clear product goal in mind. And I think that's where Linux falls down, is that it's uh, a great big melting pot and you don't have, with the exception of perhaps of Canonical, you don't have that one leader saying, these are the features we absolutely must have. And so with Mac, you do get some nice features, um, one of which that I saw talked about today was the ability to migrate from an old machine to a new one, and it brings everything across. Now, there are bash scripts, and people have tried this before, but it hasn't really worked perfectly, and apparently this thing works perfectly. The flip side is that you have a whole load of bugs that are seemingly not important enough to work on because the product team are commanding everybody to work on these new features. And so annoying little bugs creep through. And so for me, it would have to be a machine that had a proper command line that worked like Linux, 
but also had the ability for me to go in and fix a bug that was annoying me or join forces with other people to fix a bug that was annoying me rather than only get what the people in power have decided I should get. It sounds like maybe with macOS you could have got on with it if it was open to other shells and other window management because that was what put you off it. Mm. That's never going to happen though because... They love to be, you know, the magical OS, you know, where everything is perfect the way they're telling you it's to be perfect and you're not going to decide for yourself how things work. They seem, it's a very top down way, I find. Well, yeah. And that, that's why my idea of it ever being open source is just fucking ridiculous. It's just never going to happen. I think for me also, it depends on the application that I need to use. If I want to make music, then sorry, but I'm using Windows for that. It's not connected to the network, but this, all the theme tunes that I've ever, you know, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune that I've ever made have been in Windows. If the, the, when I started the new show, I had to record some music for that. There's no way I'm fucking around trying to do that in Linux when I can just boot into a Windows partition and just get it smashed out in, you know, a couple of hours. Is that why all the ID3 tags have made in Windows 3.1? <laughs> no, that just comes with XFCA. <laughs> but anything that requires the network and security, therefore, is Linux for me. And I, I, I don't. I think it would take it would take it becoming open source, which is never going to happen. So. I, I just can't see it happening for me, really. Graeme, you're a bit more pragmatic about these things with your Hackintosh and whatnot. Yeah, but I just, I mean, firstly, I can't see it happening. I love, I just love being able to install Linux. And I know that the time I've invested into learning the little that I know isn't wasted because, you know, it's open source. And if I need to, I can always change it myself. I suppose I could perhaps see the kernel being replaced in the future by, you know, in the way kind of clangers come in um, or Nginx in the same way it has on on, on the web stack. Maybe a, a kernel, maybe Linux kernel development stagnates and, and maybe the monolithic nature of the kernel inhibits innovation in a way that you perhaps gets taken over by another kernel. Um and then maybe I'd switch to whatever this other fictitious kernel might be simply because, you know, the wobbly windows on KDE are smoother that way. <laughs> what about Fuchsia? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What if yeah. that really does come to pass? So I, mean, I was thinking of Fuchsia, actually, except for, you know, it, it, I'd probably avoid Google. It would have to have, you know, it would have to have the... the the excitement and the the tinkery kind of sensibilities that Linux had, and, and probably GPL as well, rather than um, something more permissive. Well, that's the thing. There may end up being an AOSP-style open version of Future because I think they are planning to do the old throw it over the wall, but, yeah, it would be permissively licensed, but they, they might end up being some lineage-type version of it. And I would certainly be interested to check that out at least. Whether I'd use it, I don't know. If you had to pick between one of the two, like say there was some sort of um, despotic future where Apple and Microsoft join forces, which would you pick? It depends on my financial situation. If I could afford a Mac, then I'd go that way. But I've got hardware that I could install Windows on, so I'd probably have to go that way. Right now, at least. 
Oh, I'd go with Heiku or B- BOS. <laughs> <laughs> I think on a study of a few months of Mac use, I'd probably go Windows. What, like your secret gaming machine that you never talk about? Yeah. Very much like that one. <laughs> I, I think I've become a gardener and just dropped the whole <laughs> IT thing, really. <laughs> I totally agree with you, Phelan. I was thinking, well, what would really lead me to drop Linux? And it probably would be, you know, if, if, if there was no Linux, I'd be so fed up with computers, I'd just try something else. Absolutely. It's, it's for the last, I don't know how long, has been my only OS, realistically. And... If I couldn't use it, I don't know why I would even bother doing this because I, I don't like any of the other OSs. There's a reason I'm using it. Hmm. Okay, Stan asks, is there something that you've always wished you could do in a terminal but can't? Hmm. So I, I do use the terminal most of the time, and there are things that – it's probably not the answer that uh, Stan would expect, but I, I've – I use MUT on the command line, but it's it's very old, and I really wish there was a modern kind of search-based, conversation-based uh, mail client on the terminal. Um, I also wish there was kind of, um, I don't know, I use Tmux quite a lot, um, but I also wish there was something a little bit more window manager than Tmux, but obviously not a window manager. <laughs> Biabu. <laughs> there is <laughs> for me not really i i thought about this and just i can't think of anything i use a, a real combination of the terminal and the gui just depending on what i'm doing one is right and one isn't if i'm installing software the terminal makes sense if i'm editing files then nano makes sense to me rather than pissing about with a gui text editor generally Unless it's something more complicated like HTML for a website, then I'll generally use um, LeafPad or whatever. So no, I think I've just got the right balance at the moment between Terminal and GUI. My wish would be for a terminal interface that did what I meant and not what I typed. <laughs> and so if I, if I imagine I pressed the keys adjacent to the key that I wanted to press, and it would just know that what I actually meant was, and then just do it anyway. And you can work around that. There are a few tools that do something similar. Um, but I just like it to work that way all the time. And the other one that I wish would be for it to type into the terminal I was looking at and not the one that had actually had window focus. <laughs> yeah. Curious you mentioned that as I typed a password into a Telegram <laughs> session only the other day. <laughs> I actually once looked into a solution to that problem. There are people that have hacked a script together with, oh, God, it's the, it's the thing that did the open source track IR implementation. Mm. Basically, you put something on your head and it tracks where your eyes are going away. Oh, God. At. I'm sure that worked brilliantly with my webcam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could remember all the feckin' shortcuts. Like I used to work with a guy who he literally knew all of the shortcuts for things, you know, like control U, control K. I have to, I actually have a cheat sheet stuck to my monitor to this day for some of the very simple ones that I should know because I use them all the time, but I always go, wait, is it alt D? Is it control D? Oh, geez, I can't remember. I, I just don't have the capacity to remember shortcuts very well. So that, that would be nice if I could do that. It would be nice if you could make a symbolic link without having to Google which order things go in. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. Oh, you know that it's the syntax of find I can never get right. Ah, just, yeah. I always get it wrong and use it every day. But where did, where does the name go? Is it two hyphens in front of name? And where do you put the source and then the destination? If it would just automatically either capitalize or not the dash R in various mm. commands, that would be handy as well. SSH SCP, you bastard. The dash P for port. <laughs> Right, well, that'll do it for this time then. We might do a couple of questions next time when we come back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>